0: Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit Mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level.
2: I am here with Tripp Mickle, who just got a new job at the New York Times. Uh, before that, he was the Wall Street Journal's, one of the many excellent Wall Street Journal tech reporters, and wrote a new book called After Steve how Apple became a trillion-dollar company and lost its soul. Welcome, Trip.
3: Thanks for having me, Peter.
2: Thanks for doing this, and thanks for taking on Apple as a subject. It's a hard... I, I did a seven, six or seven-part podcast about Apple recently. It is hard to find new stuff to say about Apple. You have done so. You're focusing, obviously, on the post-Steve Jobs era, but more than that, on really a, a sort of long-running battle between Tim Cook and, and Johnny Ive and we know who won there, but you tell us all about the ins and outs. I'm curious why you picked that lens um, when you decided you wanted to write about Apple to begin with.
3: You know, it's, it's interesting when I when I came onto the beat covering Apple for uh, for the journal. One of the one of the first conversations and coffees I had was with somebody who said, "Hey, you should really look into to Johnny Ive and figure out what's going on there." And this would have been back in 2016, and so there was already an understanding pretty early on that that there was um, that he was like somewhat unhappy with with the state of affairs in Apple. And it just became this, this curiosity. Like why why would somebody who helped build this company and rescue it from bankruptcy become unhappy with the place he was at?
2: I always assume that everyone is like me and spends all their time thinking about Apple and, and Steve Jobs and Tim Cook. But for the few folks who don't think like that, let's just sketch out who Johnny Ive is and who Tim Cook is and was and, and, and why they ended up in, in a it's not really direct conflict, right? It's sort of they're having a battle, but they're sort of it's sort of parallel play throughout the the entire time they're at Apple together. Yeah,
3: it's it's an unspoken power struggle, right? And and I mean, if you think of Apple as this like kingdom that was built by Steve Jobs, um, almost like a Camelot, right? I mean, it went through this period of tremendous growth with the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad, and then it was it was handed over because of his his uh, his death in twenty. 20- 2011 and Johnny Ive was the one, and he was the creative partner for Steve for many of those years. And uh, he's the
2: spiritual heir to to Steve Jobs. It's that's the way it's portrayed. That's the way you portray it in your story.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and kind of a creative soulmate, right? Um, so in, in essence, he was he was kind of part of the soul of the company. I mean, he was at the creative heart of the company. Um, and he had he had his fingerprints were on everything from how the iMac looked back in 1997, which, were, which was the product that really rescued Apple all the way up through the iPhone and the iPad. I um, mean, he's the reason that when we look around the world, we see all of these products with these like clean lines and smooth corners and everything else. In a way, he kind of redrew the world that we, we live in. Um, he's probably had more impact on, on products as an industrial designer than just about anyone. And Tim Cook was kind of his counterpoint. I mean, if if you didn't have Tim Cook, like those products would not be made at scale. And what Tim Cook did was he basically turned Apple into a manufacturing juggernaut by kind of being among the first to tap into China and turn China into the world's factory floor.
2: And I should point out that that, you know, we're having you on this podcast because it's an interesting story, but also because we cover media and tech here and and Tim Cook is the guy who ultimately sets Apple on this course to have a music service that it sells and a TV service that it sells and other services that it has yet to roll out. And so we'll we'll talk about that. But just to set the stage, if if Johnny Ive is the guy who is closest to Steve Jobs and shares the way Steve Jobs thinks about the world. And Tim Cook is, at least in the, a lot of the portrayals, kind of the photo negative, right? Like operations, numbers guy, kind of charisma-free, whatever whatever personality he does have, he sort of pushes out um, below anyone's vision. Why didn't Steve Jobs have Johnny Ive run the company after he left? He, he specifically picked Tim Cook.
3: I mean, you have to look at people and recognize what their skill set is. And and when you look back at the, the period that... Um, that, that Steve Jobs worked with Johnny Ive I mean he made sure that Johnny really worked with a team of about 20 designers I mean you know that was really tactful because you know some people aren't meant to manage large operations mm-hmm. I mean, Tim Cook showed that he could build out a giant division in the operations division he was treated differently and you know if you talk to people who were close to Steve Jobs at the time Steve Jobs recognized that about half the company's value came from its ability to manufacture mm-hmm products at scale and his anticipation that the iPhone, I remember it, I think it it had about 10, it was selling about 10 million units in year one was just going to explode. I mean, they're up to about 200 million units a year. It takes somebody with, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of skill to be able to kind of ramp up a product and make sure you can make that many without having imperfections.
2: So he needs that guy to... Make Apple the company that that can handle all that demand to make the the trains run on time. He understands the value of that, um but he also understands the value of design and and having a, a design leader, like you said under under Steve Jobs, Johnny. I basically had this fiefdom where he only had to report to Steve Jobs. He could kind of do whatever he wanted. He didn't have budgets. He had enormous control. Why not set up a structure so that's replicated post Steve Jobs? Because in the end, that's what your book is kind of about is Johnny Ives slowly sort of watching his influence over the company fade away over basically a decade before he sort of formally leaves, but he's even checked out before that. Right. So why not say, look, we're gonna you 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 shouldn't run the company, but you should be the creative guy, and I'm gonna make sure we structure it that way. Oh or, or alternately, why didn't Tim Cook say, this is the way it was set up. That seemed to work really well. Let's keep doing that. Because
3: the missing piece in all of that was Steve Jobs himself, right? I mean, the, the check on Johnny Ive was Steve Jobs. I mean, that that meant that things were incredibly efficient for Johnny Ive, that he could make design choices that might be expensive, and then Steve Jobs could yay or nay those, but in the absence of Steve Jobs, Tim Cook had to come up with a new way for Apple to function and operate because, because Steve Jobs himself was at the center of everything Apple did. When you take him out of the center, you know you lose your chief marketing officer, you lose your chief technology officer, you, you lose the, the person who kind of made everything function. Um, and in its place, Tim Cook had to kind of create more of a democratically run company, one that was focused more on collaboration.
2: You spend a lot of time and way more time than I thought getting into the book talking about the the history of the Apple Watch, which is a successful product. It's also less successful than Apple thought it would be. I've got one. I I mean, lots of people wear them now, but it doesn't seem to be. It's not an iPhone. It's not even an iPad, I don't think, in terms of of impact on the company. Why is the Apple Watch story so important to you and, and this version of the story?
3: it was important because at the time of steve jobs' death everyone was looking at apple saying can they make something else that's new and the apple watch was the answer right and and i think in in what you're talking about in terms of kind of its shortcomings as the answer like it, it does speak to to some of the the challenges that apple's had in the absence of steve jobs but it also is still to this day the only new product category that they've introduced because it's it's kind of the foundation to the wearables business that also includes AirPods. I mean, literally, as the book kind of highlights, as they were kind of conceptualizing the watch, they said, oh, well, we wanted this to free us from our phones. Like, mm-hmm. how can we talk to people? And that's how they came up with the idea of, of kind of a Bluetooth headset. And they went out and pursued it. So the, the AirPods are kind of derivative of, of the watch.
2: And even though, again, we don't think of them in the in the odd terms we talk about the iPhone still, They're, they throw off tens of billions of dollars a year in revenue, bigger yeah. than pretty much most companies in the world.
3: $38 billion, yeah. And,
2: and I don't think about the watch as a Johnny Ive project, but you make it clear that it was very much his project in many ways. And then also frustrating to him in the way that he didn't have full control over it. The thing is released before he thinks it should be released. He wants it to be a fashion forward Object and they try that for a while and eventually decide it's a sports watch. It seems like a, in his mind a lot of this is very frustrating and maybe leads to him deciding to leave once he's done with that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you're, you're dealing with somebody and I describe Johnny Ive in the book as an artist and that, that's you know that's that's a leap from designer, but you know I think he has artistic sensibilities and mm-hmm. among those he's he's somewhat averse to to conflict and and doesn't and doesn't really enjoy debate. He has this kind of philosophy that that ideas are fragile and when you introduce conflict and debate, that can squelch an idea before it really flowers. And so without Steve Jobs, he was thrust into this world where he was he was constantly talking with his colleagues about what direction to go in whether it was with the marketing of the watch or with you know some of the, some of the properties of it. And, and that was draining for him because he just didn't enjoy that type of conversation.
2: He also likes the finer things in life. He's got the chauffeur custom Maybach. He's got he bought Steve Jobs's Gulfstream 5. You' got a great anecdote there about it's his G5 private plane. But there's something about like the soap dispenser. He doesn't like the the way the the screws work or something, and then he gets Apple engineers to work on it for him for however many days.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, there was he was he was unsatisfied with uh, it was an aluminum soap dispenser, and so he he brought it in. I think it was a custom piece, and brought it into the to the MacBook engineers and said, hey, can you can you fix this? And the guys are, are are looking at this soap dispenser and then looking at the Macs beside them and thinking to themselves, like, wait, I you know I don't know the the shareholders would be super thrilled that we're working on a an, a private jet soap dispenser for the next few days.
2: And that anecdote is telling, just because it sort of it, it spells out sort of the way that Johnny Ive wanted Apple to work for him and his fiefdom. And then over time, under Tim Cook's leadership, a lot of those perks go away. His power diminishes. He's still paid an enormous amount of money. He's given lots of privileges. A lot of other people don't have. He basically is only working half time at the end of his tenure. And even that is kind of dubious it seems like he's depressed frankly uh, yeah i mean
3: think i mean you know and i i hope it comes through but i mean it's got to be a lot to go through right for both of these guys and for the entire company i mean losing a mentor and a friend like steve jobs and then to have the entire world staring at you and saying well what are you going to do next without that guy i mean you have to wake up every morning and really kind of you know set aside potential grief in order to to meet the demands of the day and meet the demands of wall street which were you know unrelenting
2: one of the things you spend a little bit of time on not a lot is apple's uh stop and start effort to create a car which at one point involves i think more than a thousand employees they're throwing a ton of money at this but it lurches around johnny ive is involved in that as well what's your understanding of what apple thought an apple car would be and then why they've stopped and whether it's going to ever start up again
3: uh, you know, initially, part of the, you know, part of the core vision for it was for them to do essentially what they did uh, to Nokia with the, with the phone, right? They looked at Tesla and said, the electric vehicle market is, is ripe for another entrant. Let's, let's bring something online that, that does that. But they also had autonomous ambitions. And, and what emerges within the company is tension between those who want to be expeditious and pursue an electric vehicle and get it out quickly. Electric vehicles and,
2: exist. We can build one of those. Tesla's already making them. Nissan's making them. We can do one.
3: Right, and then those that want to pursue like something that's really truly autonomous. So, um, and that that was primarily voiced by Johnny Ive himself. You know, he wanted essentially like a, a chauffeur that could kind of take him around without having to do any any of the driving himself. And and that was the disconnect. And you know, in a Steve Jobs era, you could you could look back and say, well, would Steve have, Steve have intervened and said, okay, well, this is a direction we're going in. And that's one of the voids within the company, right? Tim Cook does not often get involved in product decisions. And you see it early on, the company really struggled with this. He, he tends to gather a lot of information before he makes decisions. And in, that stands in major contrast to Steve Jobs, who was just very much gut. And he knew what direction to go in, and he set that direction pretty early. And I think we've seen some of the uneasiness with their product development as a result.
2: Yeah, you've got an anecdote there that again is is I think minor in the course of things, but telling about how they start talking about whether they want to do their own version of Amazon's Alexa, Echo speakers, Tim Cook seems interested in it, but never says, go ahead and do it. There's a guy working on it. But since Tim Cook hasn't said, go ahead and do it, he said or lets it go. And six months later, Tim Cook says, hey, where's where's that speaker we talked about? And he has to restart the whole thing. And HomePod is one of their bigger failures. Let's talk a little bit about Tim Cook. Um, he is mostly, I think, partly by design and, and mostly just because of who he is, a cypher. He he. Uh, you talk a bit about uh, him growing up in, in small town Alabama. Um, you talk about him coming out publicly in, in 2014, that those are sort of the two things we know a lot about him. Um, we know that he's good at operations. What, what else did you learn about Tim Cook that most people don't know?
3: You know, it's, it it was funny. I mean, i I think the most interesting thing to me in reporting on Tim was visiting, you know, the town where he grew up, Robertsdale, Alabama, which is, is pretty rural. And it's about an hour from Mobile and, discovering that he's kind of a pariah in his hometown. I mean, you you really think when you go into a place like that, oh, this is small town boy done good, right? Like that they're going to have a tremendous amount of pride in what he's accomplished. I mean, it's really remarkable. This is a guy who's, I don't know, if you look at where he came from, it's more likely he'd be running a Denny's than the world's largest company. It's, mm-hmm. it's incredible. Um, and yet, they they kind of bristle when you ask about Tim Cook, and and the underlying reason for that is that he he told a public story about uh, KKK cross burning in the town of Robertsdale that he came across when he was you know a, a young teenager, and the town's not convinced that that actually happened. At the very least, they think that he publicly you know kind of put a black eye on the town, and they don't like it.
2: Right. We either think it's not true or if it is true, it's still private business and you are out there portraying our town as a bunch of redneck bigots. Um, and it's not, by the way, a story that he tells like in conversation is he? I mean, he he's gives it in speeches or mm-hmm. has given it in a speech. It's a public story. And they just uh, they did. They dislike him for that, not for necessarily for coming out. It's for portraying their town as a small backwoods town.
3: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So he takes the job, he's the numbers guy, he's the operations guy, that's what he's really good at. Over time, though, he's also a guy who can negotiate with China and an autocratic regime there and figure out how to insert, how to really enmesh China and Apple so they can't be separated, for better and for worse. And also is one of the CEOs who figures out fairly early on how to work with Donald Trump. Is that a skill set that he had to learn over time, or is this something that was always sort of natural to him and, and untapped until faced with those dilemmas?
3: I think it speaks to to kind of the essence of of who he is, which is somebody who does a tremendous amount of homework. One of the the telling moments in talking to to people who worked with Tim was when the when the company found found itself on the line of fire during kind of tax investigations year, years before this this the diplomatic episodes you're talking about they they did a murder board which is this you know moment where they practice what Senate, senators are going to ask and, and grilling a ceo and tim cook comes in and they want to they want to have him talk at a high level about apple's principles and values around tax and he was asking very deep minute questions about the kind of the underlying basis of how Apple did some of this This is about taxes. Apple
2: basically um, keeping tens of billions of dollars in Europe because it didn't want to pay taxes on them in the US and basically just keeping them offshore and basically right. not paying taxes.
3: Right. And and so Tim's asking these minutia these minute questions and everybody who's preparing him is really dreading what's going to happen because they're they're afraid that he's going to get in this granular conversation with senators about about tax matters. And then when he goes out, he does the opposite. It's all high level. It's very much about Apple's values. It, it kind of it, you know he created a shield for the company, and they really got through this episode without um, without being dinged too too severely publicly. And yeah. Every person who walked out of that room said, Oh, okay, like this guy's ready to be CEO. There were some real doubts going into that coming out of the murder board that that he was prepared to be CEO. And it just spoke to the type of preparation he'll do to make sure that he excels in kind of high pressure moments.
2: We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor.
0: Support for this show comes from indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: startups you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience giving ambitious companies greater precision control and focus without compromising security open smarter checking and savings accounts control spend optimize cash flow and close the books in record time Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances
2: and to help them perform at their highest level. And we're back. There's this ongoing question about what Apple's killer product is going to be under Tim Cook, and it's not really the watch. It's not where really the AirPods are successful. It turns out it's services. It's not a product. At what point do you think did Tim Cook go, we're not going to make another iPhone, we're going to the thing that we're going to do, that I'm going to do, is find other stuff, software-based stuff, to charge our customers for. Uh, they've already bought an iPhone; they're going to buy more stuff from us, and that will be the the de facto iPhone. When did he come upon that idea?
3: It, it seemed, based on my reporting, that that he arrived at the idea that services could be the next the next big play for Apple as a consequence of the acquisition of of Beats. And the development of apple music and the success of that product you know i mean apple had always been in services if you look back at itunes like it had it had this as an underpinning of its business but subscription services are are, are a totally different model and apple music became kind of the the kind of the basis for for launching that
2: it, it's funny because from the outside i was trying to figure out why he spent three billion dollars on on a headphone company um and from what it looked like, it looked like he was Aqua hiring a small team that made a music service, um, which seemed crazy given that they could make their own music service. They're totally capable of that at Apple, um, and it spoke a little bit to me about what I perceived to be Tim Cook's real un. It did not have a steady hand when it came to stuff, when it came to culture and taste and sensibility, and him basically saying, "I don't. I'm sure I could build this, but I have no idea what I'm doing." Jimmy Iovine, y- you seem like you know what you're doing. I'm going to give you three billion dollars essentially to do that, <laughs> and your reporting pretty much spells that out. That that's. What happened? And he he bought the sales pitch Jimmy Iovine made, which was that, this is very long ago now, but that Beats was a better service than Spotify because they had some actual DJs putting playlists together instead of robots. That's really the only difference. Uh, but he went for it. And then after that, you're saying he decided, oh, this could become a services business and really meaningful for us.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was a really telling moment after the acquisition where the Beats marketing team comes in, and they, you know, Tim, Tim Cook did not get involved in developing the product itself, right? But he did get involved in kind of some of the business aspects of that of Apple Music as it got off the ground. And so they come in to pitch Tim on their vision for how many subscribers they're going to get, and they set the bar at 10 million. And Tim Cook just kind of sits and nods and says, "Is that the best you can do?" And eventually, they walk out of that meeting saying they're going to go for 20 million now for the beats people this was like a huge leap because they were doing about a hundred thousand subscribers or had about a hundred thousand subscribers at that moment so they thought 10 million oh we're you know we're we're growing gangbusters at that point but but tim set the bar at 20 then they go out the door with the product it's slammed because it's you know lackluster relative to what spotify is offering a lot of its features don't work and still within a year they're at 20 million i mean tim knew the power of the iPhone and the distribution network that Apple had already built. And we're going to jam this
2: thing onto the phone. You're going to try it. A lot of you are going to stick with it. It's going to work.
3: Yep. He saw that in a way that, that even the people at beats did not.
2: Which seems to be now the TV strategy. We still don't really know how Apple TV plus is performing as a subscription business. Apple sometimes leaks out some numbers. It's still nowhere near, Netflix, HBO, Disney, obviously they just won an Academy Award for for coda. And you again talk about him sort of not understanding TV business, literally bringing in people from Hollywood to explain how all of the finance works. But it's one thing to say we should be in TV, another thing to say we're going to do that by building our own studio as opposed to buying one. Do you understand sort of how he got to that point? This is after years of Apple trying to sort of make its own subscription TV business. Um, partly under Steve Jobs, partly under Tim Cook, and that not working. And then he goes to this move instead.
3: Right. Um, you know, some of this was was driven by Jimmy Ivey. I mean, once Jimmy comes in, he becomes kind of a rock tumbler and he's, He's looking for he's he's just kind of a, a restless entrepreneurial spirit and he's looking for ways to make Apple Music stand apart from Spotify when both services have the exact same catalog of every single song in the mm-hmm. world. Like, how do you make them any different from each other? And Jimmy, you know, kind of arrives at the idea, well, one way to do that is to do TV. He wanted like a Beavis and Butthead hit or something like that, like the the same way that MTV took off because it had different shows, he thought he could do that yep. for Apple Music and so he's lobbying and lobbying and eventually they give him some license to develop some shows planet of the apps bombs and they decide that they need to get serious about it i just want to pause
2: there for a second because they they debuted planet of the apps uh at this conference i held uh years ago and eddie q came on stage and it was wild to see that they had created something so underwhelming and brought it out there's also they also did uh James Corden uh, what was a karaoke carpool, carpool karaoke. karaoke. some extended, some extended yeah. versions of that. Those were their two contributions. And it was wild to see Apple be so tentative and then so off with a, with a launch like that.
3: Right. Well, it's funny for you to say like, it's wild to see them be tentative and off because like, I do think what you're, what you're identifying is the difference in Apple in this decade and, and still in this time period we're in from what we were accustomed to in kind of the Steve Jobs era mm-hmm. of swagger and swing for the fences, right? I mean, you know, they're... And Steve
2: Jobs still had plenty of screw-ups, right? There's a there's an Apple boombox you can go see in someone's uh, discarded electronics bin. There was a Ping, a social network that lasted for like a minute. Um, he's definitely he, he has plenty of failures. Right. Um, but they were right. they had they, more swagger as you said.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and they they were overshadowed by the successes, right? Um, Tim Cook's taking this you know this idea that Apple does the perfect, and instead he's kind of introduced the idea that that Apple is is like patient, right? And it it kind of introduces something and then iterates upon it until it until it becomes perfect. And we really see that. I, I think we're still seeing that with TV. It's kind of on that on that trajectory at the moment. And so Jimmy was pushing for this, and they they decide they're gonna they're gonna do it. Why didn't they buy? You know, uh, you know, an MGM, for example, which they kicked the tires on, so that they could get a massive library like Amazon has or like Netflix has. You have to go back to the Beats deal and look at, you know, how much how tumultuous the integration of Beats was within Apple and how off putting it was for for Tim Cook and the executives in charge.
2: Basically. Apple spit out beats, right? Yeah. I don't think there's anyone who's at, at beats, certainly not in a leadership position who's there anymore. Um, they rebuilt the service beats it had created. You know, I think they would still argue it's successful. They got a uh, an operating uh, headphone business out of it. and if it cost them three billion dollars, to kickstart a services business, I think they would probably take that trade. The future of the company, we don't talk anymore. I mean, I think most people now have given up on the idea that they're going to make another iPhone, that they sort of realize the iPhone is the iPhone. Maybe they'll do a car one day. Maybe they'll make something, some other amazing piece of gadgetry. But they do, they are, they are betting the company on this services business. That is under unrelenting attack around the world from regulators who are basically chipping away at it bit by bit forcing Apple to reduce the commissions it charges on app store sales. It seems like the EU is very close to cr- forcing them to sort of disadvantage Apple Music, or at least make it on, on par with Spotify, make it harder for them to launch a new service of their own and give it an advantage. Um, so that's that's one big danger point for the company. The other part is its China relationship, which Tim Cook created, he owns. Um, and it seems very hard from what I can tell from china to to imagine china expelling apple um but they could or right. figure out other ways to damage his business how how acute do you think how much do you think tim cook worries about those two problems um both of which he sort of created um as a as a side effect of his success
3: tim cook strikes me as a warrior right he's up at like four thirty a.m every morning i don't think these things are or or these challenges that the company faces are things that escape his attention. Um, You know, the board certainly has been paying attention to this and urging Apple to diversify its uh, manufacturing base from China, but that's something that's just really, really hard to do. Not from an assembly standpoint. I mean, they could, they could start making iPhones in Mexico or, and they're trying to do it in India, albeit with some, some headaches, the problem is that still so many of the components that go into it come from China itself, mm-hmm. and then I think the bigger risk that they they face right now, and one that they don't really talk about, and it's a little surprising, is their dependency on TSMC and and Taiwan for all the all the chips that power all of their devices. Um, what happens if the Chinese wake up and decide they're gonna do something a la Putin and just invade Taiwan? Um, you know it's certainly something that's on the radar for leaders in DC and it's something that they're concerned about and, and yet apple continues to rely on that one market for for the for the biggest biggest piece of all of, its, all of its devices. Do you imagine
2: that Apple is working on something and just can't really come out and say that because saying we're going to like basically pull out of China over the next 10 years as a flag to, uh, to China to start messing with Apple now? Or do you think it's them saying, look, this is literally intractable. We're kind of stuck here. And I, we're, we're making our bet that the Chinese are going to be uh, rational, not crazy.
3: They, they've been discreetly transitioning away from China. Uh, you You see that they have factories up in India that they've had trouble with. They've had to put them on probation because there was a, an India Foxconn factory where like 150 workers and this out of 17,000 wound up with food poisoning and the conditions just weren't good. I mean, it harkened back to the days in China where we heard a lot about some of the conditions in in factories and Foxconn factories in China. Putting
2: up nets to catch the people who were jumping out of buildings.
3: Yeah. Um, But they, and they've also been spinning up operations in, in Vietnam where they're doing a lot of AirPod manufacturing and so on and so forth.
2: And then on the, the services regulation front, a lot of folks uh, argue, look, this idea that they're fighting... You know, territory by territory, state by state, these rules to protect the Apple Store thirty percent, for instance, just ridiculous. They should just go ahead and cut their feet to fifteen percent, whatever the number is. They should, they should just stop fighting this battle because services is important to them, but it's not the thing that powers the company. They're still the iPhone company, and they can, they could afford to make less. They could stop spending time fighting this stuff. They could move on and and create something new. The other argument is, it's billions and billions of dollars at stake, and even if they have to give it up eventually, they want to keep those billions as long as they can. It seems like they've they've reached the second conclusion.
3: Yeah, and and when is Apple not fought right? I mean, when when have they shied away from a legal battle? If you look if you look back at the just years that they went head-to-head with Samsung it's emblematic of kind of the mindset there that they're just not gonna gonna back down they did the same and kind of what in a case they wound up losing which was their ebook case you know and eddie q wound up you know being like all the emails wound up out in the open Mm -hmm. and it was pretty clear how they were trying to manipulate the electronic books industry to their own favor and they fought that all the way to the to the to the finish line before they wound up losing. Um, That's just emblematic of how they behave and how they operate.
2: I did talk to someone there a couple years ago now uh, about, you know, something specific and whether that would trigger an antitrust issue. And they said, I don't I don't want anyone working for me to worry about antitrust. I want them to go ahead and do it. And then if we have an antitrust problem, we'll go fight it later. Yeah. And that has stuck with me. You talked to a lot of people for this book. If you want to know what it was like to attend Johnny Ives 50th birthday party with you two and flights to Italy from London, um, this is the book for you. You don't quote Tim Cook or, or, or Johnny Ive directly speaking to you. So I want to ask you if they talk to you directly. Do you have a sense of whether either one of them likes or dislikes what you've made?
3: I don't have a sense whether either one likes or dislikes what I've written. I, I don't know that either one has read the book yet. You know, I i love to hear their thoughts on it uh, at a certain point we certainly courted the opinion of people around them mm-hmm. to make sure that their views were represented in the book but i can't get into the sourcing itself as you as you can imagine
2: so yeah it's it's very well sourced um i do i know some people who were adjacent to some of this stuff that hasn't been published before and they're like oh trip got a lot of stuff in there that's good so i vouch for it um it's an excellent book again it's called after steve it's by trip mickle and you can read it now thanks trip
3: Thanks so much, Peter. It's uh, it's been a pleasure.